Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Welcome everyone to the mid-season climax, the showdown which would change the fate of nations. As I'm speaking today on the 14th of October 2020, it's the 954th anniversary of one of the single most colossal moments in English history, the Battle of Hastings in 1066. Just three days after King Harold's Anglo-Saxons had annihilated a huge Viking army at Stamford Bridge near York, Duke William arrived with his Norman army in the south. Harold force-marched his depleted, battered and exhausted men in a rush to meet him. The second such march in a week. And so, arriving this very morning nearly a thousand years ago, Harold took a defensive position along the crest of a hilltop forming his tired but exultant men into the famous Saxon shield wall, almost half a mile long. The core of the army was a force of around 2,000 fearsome housecarls, perhaps the most elite infantry force in Europe at the time, heavily armoured and wielding terrible two-handed battle axes. The heart of William's army was the Norman cavalry, two to three thousand battle-hardened veterans of several wars in France. Specialising, of course, in mounted warfare, they crushed opponents with speed and manoeuvre, exploiting an enemy's weakest points before they could react. So, two medieval fighting styles would come head-to-head here. Harold's Saxon shield wall the rock, against which the swirling Norman cavalry would crash and probe, seeking gaps to rush through to shatter the wall apart. William of Poitiers, Duke William's chaplain, described it as a strange kind of battle, one side attacking with all mobility, the other with standing, as though rooted to the soil. In total, both armies were probably five to seven thousand strong, and the struggle began at around 9am, seven miles from a small village named Hastings. With Harold's army well placed between marshy land on each flank, the Norman cavalry's only option was to charge the English shield wall with a full frontal assault. But they failed to break through and withdrew back down the hill. They regrouped and tried again. And again. In fact, they spent six hours trying, and each time they were repulsed in a flurry of English axes cleaving shields, mail and armour. You can imagine the grisly carnage of the hillside even early in the morning, Soaked in blood, simultaneously slippery and sticky, horses and men dead and screaming wounded all around. William of Poitiers exclaimed that the Anglo-Saxons were so tightly packed together that the dead could scarcely fall and the wounded could not remove themselves from the action. Duke William himself had three horses killed from under him. So William brought up his crossbowmen who shot volley after volley at the massed English ranks. Pretty devastating, but still the formation held. It begins to seem that all the English have to do is hold firm and let the Normans destroy themselves against the shield wall. Despite two of his brothers having already been killed, Harold must have been optimistic. It wasn't until sometime in the afternoon that the key moment occurred. During an attack, A rumour spread through the left flank of the Norman army that William had been killed. It broke and fled in panic. 
Many of history's writers often talk about how quickly a strong and confident army can suddenly dissolve into a rout of men running for their lives, and this was no different. The left flank disintegrated in seconds and threatened to infect the crucial centre with its fear. Seeing them flee, many of the English troops on the right were suddenly sure this was the moment of victory and broke the shield wall to pursue them. Aghast, William raced across the battlefield and lifting his visor to show his face, shouted, Look at me, I live! Seeing the Duke alive, the fleeing Normans rallied and now turned on the chasing and isolated English, destroying them almost completely. Harold's optimism must have vanished along with the right flank of his army. The Normans, liking how that had gone, tried to lure more of the English from their positions with at least two false retreats, with some but not complete success. Nevertheless, this, combined with the sheer exhaustion of the Anglo-Saxons, meant the perfect shield wall was now fracturing, and gaps were beginning to appear. In just three weeks, remember, they had marched more than 400 miles, fought and won one brutal battle, and now had been fighting again against a fierce and fresh enemy for hours. The physical and mental effects of just one battle, where two huge groups of men attempt to batter and slash each other to death, are almost unimaginable for us today. And these men were nearing the end of their second in quick succession. The Norman cavalry now came into its own. Exploiting gaps in the shield wall, the Normans pushed the dwindling English force off the ridge and onto the top of the hillock where they joined them. By now, it was late afternoon, and just as the autumn light was beginning to fail, Harold must have hoped that he could use nightfall to escape and regroup. William, though, in a foreign land without a safe place to retreat to, was desperate for a victory and exhorted his men for one final assault. In a desperate melee of gruesome hand-to-hand combat, William's cavalry struggled bitterly with Harold's housecarls. The flashing axes and flailing hooves, the sounds of steel and shouts of terror, the crippling exhaustion and fear. In this final chaotic fight, Harold was killed the bio-tapestry telling us he was slain with an arrow through the eye, an earlier account saying he was hacked to death by four Norman knights. It reads, The first, cleaving his breast through the shield with his point, drenched the earth with a gushing torrent of blood. The second smote off his head below the protection of the helmet, and the third pierced the inwards of his belly with his lance. The fourth hewed off his thigh and bore away the severed limb. Either way, Harold was dead. As the setting sun lit the fleeing English survivors, so it lit the falling of the Anglo-Saxon dynasty. Duke William of Normandy was crowned King William of England on Christmas Day 1066. Although he didn't subdue all of England for some time to come, he had ended 600 years of Anglo-Saxon rule and ushered in a new era for England and for the British Isles. The whole of society would feel the change, in the new feudal system, in art, architecture and language. The famous Doomsday Book and new Motton Bailey castles reshaped the administration, culture and landscape of Britain. Contact and trade with Europe greatly increased, and the histories of England and France would become intimately entwined 
for hundreds of years. The Normans themselves would go on to shape much of European history, controlling Sicily, Malta and large swathes of southern Italy, and heavily influenced the stories of the powerful Roman Church, the Byzantine Empire and the Fatimid Caliphate. It didn't all start with Hastings, but it was their watershed moment. England and Europe would never be the same again. Over the final two episodes of this English Game of Thrones series, we'll look at the widespread resistance of the rest of Anglo-Saxon England to Norman rule, the role that Vikings still had to play, and how William's frustration at the unruly English boiled over into genocide. Thank you for listening. See you next time.